to you. If you sit in the middle, you don't get a Bible, just on the two sides, so. <laughs> anyway, get your hand up in the air if you need a Bible. And you guys are kind of quiet tonight. No caffeine? Maybe you're jet lagging. So, hey, anyway, as you're turning there, a couple things we want to remind you. Remember, we have our Christmas Eve services coming up, and you guys have been handing out invitations, right? Sure you have. So we have some more. Listen, we still have the invitations out there, and uh, we do want to get those out in the community. And I, I once again want to emphasize, don't invite people from other churches. Invite people that don't know the Lord. And uh, so they're there. Grab those invitations. Get those passed out. Uh, we're getting ready to uh, start up our, our uh, Dave Ramsey uh, I just, I have a hard time saying the FPU. Sounds like it stinks, right? <laughs> FPU. So uh, they need to change that to something else, like Financial Peace College or something. So it's FPC instead of FPU. So anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. So hey, you can go to that. It's 12 weeks of PU. No, it's 12 weeks of, of uh, financial training. A great thing, especially... If you're, if you're struggling with your finances and having a hard time with that, man, you know what? You need to go to this and, and kind of get straightened out, get on the right path. If you're doing really good with your finances, you need to go to this and just do better. It's a great, great, great uh, ministry. want to encourage you. So uh, we're going to have the table out there. It says stop by the info center. So you can get those details. You can still get on the uh, Christian school tax credit I think you can get on it for this year still. So, yeah, see somebody, and you can get on it for this year. So that information's out there. Men's Prayer Breakfast, uh, I guess there's a sign-up sheet at the Information Center. We need to know if you're coming. And uh, it's still not too late for the Israel trip, uh, if, you're, if you're like at the last minute. Or maybe ask Santa Claus. He's going to bring you a trip. I don't know. And uh, so that's for 2020. And again, you can get the information at the information counter. So I think everything's at the information counter tonight. So just go there. And uh, you know what? You can go there for the Bible study. And we'll just, no, I'm kidding. Someone laugh. Are you going to? Okay. So uh, what else? Say hey, it's great to be back. Thank you. Thank you guys for praying. We had a great ministry. It's, you know, to me, it's a, it's just an encouragement for me to be able to go and, and kind of help out these other churches that are starting up. And they, this church has been there for a while, but they're, they're smaller, they're reaching out to the community, and, and they're in Majorca, and it's, it's kind of an incredible ministry going on there, and they're getting ready to do an expansion. So we got to meet with that and talk with that about some of the uh, building project they have going on there. So it's just, it was a great time. The pottery ministry, the couples ministry went well. Thank you guys for praying. And uh, just a great, great fellowship. It's interesting, everything's in English. So uh, people were asking me if I had a translator and I said, no, my English is pretty good. It's, uh, so, but uh, yeah, just it's kind of an international, I didn't realize. Uh, Mallorca is a little island off of Spain, and it's very, very international. So uh, anyway, great, great time. And, and if you think about it, just pray. It's uh, uh, Santa Posa uh, Community Church. I always want to say Calvary Chapel, but Community Church. So if you think about, pray for those guys and pray for their building project because it's a huge commitment for them, smaller 
fellowship of a, maybe, maybe 150, 200 people, and they're kind of taking a big step of faith by purchasing some more of that place. So uh, ventures of faith are always exciting. Uh, Pastor Raphael asked me, he said, what would you do? And I thought about one time I asked Pastor Chuck about something. And I said, you know, Pastor Chuck, what do you think I should do? And he goes, well, you know, I always like those ventures of faith. And so I just passed that on to Raphael. And I said, well, I would just take a jump of faith and, and do that. Also, oh, I was supposed to say, next week, no prayer meetings. The men and women's prayer meeting are canceled. And also the uh, bookstore and offices will be closed on 24th, 25th. The coffee house is closed from the uh, 24th through the 26th. So just for information, okay? All right, a lot of stuff, huh? So you guys ready? Ready for... Esther? Well, I was just checking. I was just seeing if you guys were awake or not. All right, let's pray. Father, we do uh, thank you once again for this opportunity. God, just to open up your word, to study your word. And Lord, I do pray that as we get involved here, I, I, right now as we kind of get really deep into the life of Ezra, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And God, that we would gain understanding of, Lord, of this man and how he walked with you and God his heart for you and that would, that would translate for us into our hearts becoming more and more, uh, Lord, revolved around you and that you would draw us closer to you and Lord, I pray for, for all of us in here that we would get to that place where, where Lord, all we wanna do is God honor you with our lives. So bless this time and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So, hey, as we pick this up, it's interesting, we, we kind of left off. If you remember, we were doing Ezra, then we got to this place, we left off, we did, uh, right before this, we did Haggai and Zechariah, and then we went to Esther in the book of Esther. So all of that happened between chapter six and chapter seven. And after chapter six into chapter seven, is about a 57-year period. So it's important to understand when we read this. They, so Israel, the people, the first wave of people have gone back almost 60 years prior to this. So kind of keep that in mind. Under Zerubbabel, right? Do you guys remember when we first started uh, Ezra? Zerubbabel were leading the people, trying to build the temple. They ran into difficulties, had to fight through that, so they're still going. So now we're 60 years later. That's a long time, you know, when you think about, and I, I just kind of thinking about Raphael and what we did here, building projects, you know. You're in a building project, project and 60 years seems like it's a long time to be building. And uh, we did see a church in Barcelona that's been under construction since 1830, and it's going to be finished in 2030. So that's a long project also. And uh, I thought, man, that guy, that's nuts. But anyway, 60 years. And here's this guy, Ezra. And then I, I don't know about you guys, but he's one of my Bible heroes. Actually, you know, Ezra and Nehemiah and what they did for the people is just incredible, and especially when you think about, here's what I want us to think about, your Ezra, well, let's read about his, his uh, little genealogy here, and then we'll talk about him, so uh, I wanted to go through these names so Lisa could hurry up and, and type them out, because it's always fun.
Okay, just making sure. Okay, I, thank you. You could just go like this. <laughs> okay, so let's look, let's look at verse one. Let's look at this. So verse one says, now after these things, so after, so 60 years later is what, what verse one is telling us. In the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shulam, or Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitab, or Ahitab, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzai, the son of Bukai, the son of Abusha, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. So, hey, now think about, I want us to think about, and, and I even practice those names to get them down, but I want us to think about Ezra knew his lineage. He knew his descendants. We're going to find out at the end of Ezra and in Nehemiah, a lot of the people had lost that, but not Ezra. And here's what I want to think about. He's part of the high priest lineage. He comes from the line of Aaron down through Phinehas. And, and something to think about is he was born in captivity. He was born while they were in Babylon. And yet, we're going to find out this guy who was part of a, a system that he should have been in the temple and should have been ministering in the temple was way away from the temple, born into captivity. But here's the great thing about Ezra. He didn't have a hard heart about that. He wasn't mad at God about that. He didn't pout about that. Here's what he did, man. He chased hard after God in the circumstances he was in. And you know what? Sometimes, uh, well, some of us are in bad circumstances. And things happen to us, and we can tend to get angry. We can tend to get discouraged. We can pout. We can have pity parties. We can do all those things, and guess what? Those don't accomplish anything. And we see this guy who is on fire for God in the midst of horrible circumstances. Now, when I think of his lineage here, I think of, when I think of, uh, as we read through that, you had Aaron, and then Aaron had the son Eleazar, and Eleazar had Phinehas. Remember Phinehas, and, here's, and if you don't, you gotta go back to Numbers chapter 25. Read that for homework. Don't go back there right now, because you're supposed to be listening. So Numbers chapter 25, here's what happens. Remember, Israel is in a place where Balaam has told them how to, how to uh, has told the Midianites how to mess up Israel, and they started then trying to interact with them, bringing some women in. And if you remember at that time, one of the guys was with his Midianite wife, and God was going to bring a plague on the people. And Phinehas, the priest, because it's kind of a gross thing, grabs a javelin and puts it through both of them and kills them both to save all the others. And God said, because Phinehas took a stand for me and took that stand, he will never fail to have a man who's serving as priest, and now we're all the way down to Ezra. I think that's incredible. You know, sometimes we read these genealogies, and I know they're not fun. I know they can be difficult, but here's the thing. We're learning something. God 
keeps his promises. He made a promise to Phinehas, and now we see that promise still being fulfilled in Ezra, and more importantly, Ezra's not a guy who's just sitting on his hands doing nothing. Yeah, he's in captivity. Yeah, it's a difficult time. Yeah, it's not fun. But listen to what he does in verse six. This Ezra, so we're talking about that same Ezra, came up from Babylon and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all of his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Now that phrase is gonna be used six times in the next two chapters. You know what that tells me? This guy was close to God. Over and over we're gonna hear the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. The hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Now, it's interesting. I was reading one commentary and they were saying the hand of the Lord was upon him because he was such a good guy. You need to know something. You can't earn stuff from God. The hand of the Lord was on him because the hand of the Lord was upon him. And again, I think, and, and here's the thing though, we're gonna see he took great advantage of that, and he did some great things for God. I believe, my personal opinion is, if you're born again, the hand of the Lord our God is on you. Are you gonna take advantage of that? Are you gonna allow that to change your life and motivate you and move you and put you in a place? And, and now here's the crazy thing, is this guy went to the king and began asking the king and making requests of the king. So here's what's happened. You had Darius that set the, or Cyrus set the people free. Darius came along. Then you had Xerxes or Ahasuerus, Esther, right? You had him in charge, and now you're all the way down to Ahasuerus or Xerxes' son, Art. So his name is Artaxerxes. That's a way to remember these guys, right? So Art's in charge, and here's the thing. Ezra was hanging out during the time of Esther. He's there, and he's in captivity, and he's watching that, and also, all of the stuff that happened in Esther obviously influenced King Ahasuerus, but it also influenced Artaxerxes heavily. So Ezra goes to this king and he says, hey, I wanna get a bunch of guys together and I wanna go back. I wanna go home. He's never been there, but he's ready to go home. I think that's, now I don't know about you guys, but that's a pretty incredible thing to go to the king and ask him for that permission. I wanna go back, I wanna serve my people. And the king, it says, granted him everything that he asked. So it kind of gives us his travel plan. Here's his itinerary. It says, verse seven, some of the children of, of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethanim, came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. So again, giving us a time frame, a time reference, about 57, almost 60 years after uh, we left off and, and Zerubbabel had worked on the temple, built the temple, now, now uh, Ezra's coming to teach the people. And here's what I kinda, I, I kinda think, think about going to the king and saying, hey, I don't wanna just leave, but I wanna take the priests with me, I wanna take the Levites with me, I wanna take this whole crew, and we're gonna take off and we're gonna go, okay? That's a big ask, isn't it? 
And you know, we're going to find out, man, this guy had great favor with the king. He not only had great favor with God, he had great favor with the king. And I think that should demonstrate something to you and I. You live a godly life, and you follow the Lord, and you represent the Lord well, you're going to find favor with people. Hey, some people are going to hate you, but you're going to find favor, and God is going to use you in great ways. So, hey, he takes off, and it says, it says, uh, he went the seventh year of King Artaxerxes, verse eight, and Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of, according to the good hand of his God upon him. There's the second time that's mentioned already in this chapter. So hey, he takes off, he goes on, on most estimate, it was like a 120-day journey. Now, that's a long time. It was, about, it was about 800, maybe 900 miles. So he wasn't like booking, right? You're gonna do, you can do the math and figure it out. You math people have already figured that out in your head. I cheated. I have a calculator. He's making about 10 miles a day. That's not huge unless you have an entourage, Right? You got all of these people going. It's hard. It's like, you know, I've led groups before. You don't make good time with a big group of people. I don't even make good time like with 30 people. I can't imagine if you have several hundred people that you're trying to get there. So, hey, he's gone. That's a long journey. He's four months, four and a half months traveling to, from Babylon to Jerusalem to get there. Now, Again, I don't know how many of us would get discouraged doing that, but he's on his way. And then now, here's the key, I think, to the whole book of Ezra. Verse 10, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the, of the, law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances of Israel. So here's the thing. Three things stand out about this guy. First of all, he sought the Lord. He sought the Lord, he sought the word of the Lord, and this is in a time where, hey, I don't think it was super popular to do that in Babylon. He's not, hey, this guy's not in Jerusalem doing that. He's in Babylon, he's in captivity. He was born in captivity, and I don't know that he's ever even, you know, they didn't have pictures that they could show him. Hey, this is where the temple was, this is what, maybe some people talked about it, but here's what I know, they had scrolls, because it says, man, listen, he, he sought the law of the Lord. This guy is reading the word, understanding the word, says he was a scribe, which tells me he's memorizing a lot of the word of God. And I believe, listen, I believe if you're called to serve the Lord, the first thing you gotta do is seek his word. And you gotta be a person who's in the word of God. And I think especially, you know, one of my biggest fears, and this is why I love it if I can go and influence some of the younger guys coming up, one of my biggest fears is they're gonna quit teaching the word. And it's, it's, hey, it's influencing our movement. Calvary Chapel has always been known for teaching the word and going through the word. And it's starting to change. And it bothers me when I see some young guys that are doing other things and, and you know, even boasting about, hey, I'm not gonna do that, that's old. It never is old to teach the word of God. So you have this guy, man, and, and Ezra, the, but you can't teach the word unless you study the word. 
And you gotta be somebody who, hey, you're gonna put your time in, you're gonna put your effort in, and, and uh, you're gonna dig in. If you're gonna teach the word, you gotta dig in and study it and, listen to this, and you gotta do it. You see, it's one thing to study it, it's one thing to read it, but are you doing the word? And I think that goes for all of us. Are you doing the word? Hey, hey, you know, we, we're gonna start encouraging again, reading through the Bible in a year. January's coming up. Get your Bible reading schedule. If you don't have one, start doing that. Get involved in that. But it's one thing to read the word. It's another thing to do the word. And we need to be people who are doing, and, and this is why I think he was so popular with the king because he was a man of integrity he was a man of honesty. He was a godly man. And he's walking, you know, with the Lord. And we're going to find out, man, there's no compromise with Ezra. He's not going to compromise on anything. He's not going to, he's not going to you know, shift with whatever the latest fad is or whatever the culture's doing. And it's hard. Hey, we live in a time where, man, going against the culture is difficult. And you, you go a little bit against the culture, and you get come down on hard by the culture, but people will respect you if you stand strong. I'm not saying to be a jerk. I'm saying just stand strong and don't waver. And so you have this guy. And then the last thing he was committed to is he was committed to teach the word. And I think, again, that teaching the word comes out of studying and seeking the word and also doing the word. And then out of that life, comes the fruit he's able to teach. So here's a guy, think about this, who was he teaching? He's teaching the Jews in exile. Where was he teaching? Not in a temple. He's probably teaching in a synagogue. I don't know how many know this, but during this time where they were in exile is where the whole idea of synagogue came from. Prior to going into exile, there weren't synagogues. There was a temple. You worshiped at the temple. Then they got put into exile. There was no temple. So they formed these things. And today, our churches are kind of a model of the synagogue. In a sense, we gather together and to be equipped to do the ministry we're, we're, we're all called to do. So here he is. He's teaching in a synagogue where he, in, in reality, he should be leading the temple worship. Think about, now think about, that for some would be extremely discouraging, but not for Ezra. So now we have Ezra, so that's the introduction to this guy. And now we're gonna get a little bit more personal about him and find out a little bit more. In verse 11, it says, this is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra the priest, the scribe, expert in the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. Now, that's quite a title, right? They could have just called him Ezra the scribe. But they went into detail, and I think, this is, I think this is King Artaxerxes recognizing this guy. Hey, this guy wasn't a flake, and here's the interesting thing. A lot of scholars end up isolating themselves from the people, and they end up not in touch with the culture, not in touch with what's going on. They can just tell you, they can tell you every nuance of Hebrew or Greek, and they can get into all of that, but they can't connect with people. Ezra was a scholar who connected with people. God admired this guy. 
He was a great scholar. Listen to, again, listen to that title that they gave him. Ezra the priest, the scribe, the expert in the words of the commandments of, of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. So this is a letter, this is what Artaxerxes wrote. Verse 12 says, Artaxerxes, king of kings. Now that's not a cool thing. I don't think he should have said that. You know, he might get, he might get spanked when he, you know, when, when God gets a hold of him. But Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of God of heaven, perfect peace, and so forth. I issue a decree that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you. So he starts out, and here's what he says. I, I want you to underline the thing that he says. All of the people of, what did he say? Israel, not Judah. Most of us would expect him to be saying, who, who did Babylon take into captivity? Judah. And again, this blows all of those theories about the 10 lost tribes. Hey, all of Israel eventually was gathered together there. And he says, I want all of the people, and here's the thing, this is a decree that anyone who wants to go with Ezra is allowed to go with Ezra. And then he says, and verse 14, and whereas you are being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. So here's what he's saying. Ezra, I'm sending you and anybody from your people who wants to go with you to go find out what's going on in Judah in Israel. I want you to go, I want you to go take care of them and you have my permission. Now, again, that's kind of a cool thing that a king is sending him out, but it gets even better, verse 15. And whereas you are to carry the silver and gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. So here's what he's saying. Not only do I want you to go, I want you to go with the stuff. Now for a challenge, read Deuteronomy before you go to bed tonight. In Deuteronomy, God makes a promise and here's what he tells Israel. I will be your God and the kings will give you their gold. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine, just imagine for a moment the heart that you would feel if you were isolated from everything you knew and you're in a foreign country, a foreign culture, a foreign everything, and then the person in charge there says, hey, you know what, you're living a very godly life and I recognize you're living a really godly life. You're studying the word of God. You're wanting to lead people, so here's what I want you to do. Take all of your people and go back to your own country. And not only that, here, I'm gonna finance the whole trip. And I'm not only gonna finance the whole trip, I'm gonna give you pocket change so you can buy stuff and it's a little bit more than pocket change. It's like four and a half tons of silver. But I'm gonna give you money. I'm gonna give you the money to purchase anything you need when you get there. How crazy is that? I don't think we, I don't think, you know, we kind of read this stuff and we go, okay, well, that happened. This is insane. This is, a, this is a Gentile king financing this whole thing. And this is a Gentile king that really didn't have anything to do with any of the captivity. He just kind of inherited all of it. And yeah, listen to what he's saying. Now, part of it, I think, because I'm cynical, part of it, I think this guy's trying to buy off God. 
I think he's trying to say, hey, God, look, I'm going to take care of you. You take care of me. We'll have a deal going on. I'm not sure he's a real follower of God. Maybe, but not if he's writing that he's king of kings. But he says, hey, here's what I want you to do, man. All the silver and gold, you take that, and you use that for the offering of the people and the priests, and, and, and uh, you use that. So verse 16, and whereas all the silver and gold that you may find in all the province of Babylon, along with the freewill offerings of your people, and of the priests are to be freely offered for the house of their God in Jerusalem. Now that's insane. Not only am I giving you money, when you get there, you can take any of the gold and silver that you find and you can fix up, hey, you can fix up God's house and you can do it right. We're gonna find out at the end of this. Here's what I love. He says, I want you to make it beautiful. I believe God, listen, I believe God enjoys some of the architecture we do. And sometimes people, you know, sometimes people say, you know, we shouldn't be extravagant. We shouldn't do things. Now, I don't think, I don't think at Calvary we're very extravagant. We're kind of, we're kind of keep things toned down a little bit. I went to that church that I told you started in the 1800s and is going to finish in 2030. I mean, you talk about extravagant. That place is happening. And uh, I, I was going to propose to the board that we build something similar. But when you look at things like that, here's the thing. Sometimes, even sometimes that we, things we do here, people go, we shouldn't do that. Why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we do some things to make things beautiful for our God? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And, and here's what he's telling them, man. Get, get this stuff. Go for the offerings. Give this to your God of Jerusalem. And then verse 17, now therefore be careful to buy with this money bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings and offer them on the altar of the house of your God in Jerusalem. And whatever seems good to you, and your brethren, do with the rest of the silver and the gold and do it according to the will of your God. Now, here's what's interesting. We read Haggai a few months ago. I think it was a few months. Maybe six months ago. We did Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai was saying that they were cheating God. And here's this king saying, I want you to go back and I want you to make sure things are done right. I don't want you to chintz out on things. I don't want you to mess up things. I want you to go, and I want you to worship God the way God called you to worship him. Now, in their culture at that time, the Jews were to worship, you know, with offerings and stuff. But you know what? We should come, and we don't have to dress up fancy to worship, obviously. But you know what? We need to give him our all. Every part of us. Don't hold back. Don't keep some of it. I gotta keep this part for myself. Give it all to him. And then verse 18, and whatever seems good to you and your brethren, do with the rest of the silver and the gold and do it according to the will of your God. Also, the articles that are given you for the service of the house of your God, deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever more may be needed for the house of your God, which you may have occasion to provide, pay for it from the king's treasury. You're kind of getting the idea that the king says, I'm giving you a check, you go take care of this, and you make sure this happens. That's crazy. 
I'm thinking Ezra's going, whoa, look at what I have here. This is from, and imagine when he shows up in Jerusalem. Let's just get a picture of this. Remember, when we left off, they were struggling. They were having a hard time. They were even fighting and bickering among themselves. Remember the old guys are saying, well, that's not the way we did it in our day. How come you young guys are trying to do this? You should, you should have seen what we had. Remember that, all that going on? So all of that's happening. Imagine Ezra showing up. And some of those old guys are way dead by now because it's been 60 years. But imagine him showing up going, look what we have from King Artaxerxes. Not only did he give us all this stuff we brought with us, no wonder they only made 10 miles a day. They're carrying all that gold and silver. He goes, not only do we have all of this, listen, he said if we need anything else, just take it out of the king's treasury. We've got, we've got you know, the king supporting this whole big thing. That had to be insane in their minds to hear that. And then he says, he says in, in verse 21, and I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the region beyond the river that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven may require of you, let it be done diligently up to 100 talents of silver. That's about four tons. So he did put a limit. Right, he, he finally capped this thing because I think he was like, I think, I think Artaxerxes is writing this letter out and he's going, man, I'm going a little crazy here. I gotta put a, you know, like, like some, you just gotta put a spending limit. He says up to, you know, up to four and a half or, or four tons of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribed limit. Now think about that for a moment because salt was a means of, of uh uh, of, of money that they would use in that time. And he's saying, you can have all the salt you want. Now for us, we're thinking, who cares about salt, right? Like whoopee dingo, man, you give me a pile of salt. For them, it was a currency. So he says, and salt without limit, that's, that's insane. And so, so then he says, and, and then he says, listen, whatever, verse, 20, uh, verse 23, whatever is commanded by the God of heaven let it diligently be done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? Now do you get the idea that Artaxerxes wants to make sure he's taken care of? If I do all of this and I command everybody to do this, God's not gonna come against me. Maybe he read about what happened to some of the other leaders of Babylon when they came against God. So hey, he's making sure that's taken care of. And then I love verse 24. And also, we inform you that it shall not be lawful to impose tax or tribute or custom on any of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the Nethanim, or the servants of the house of God. So here's what he's doing. He's letting the church, right, be tax exempt. Wow, that's kind of incredible for way back then. And hey, you know what? I, I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years the church loses that in America. People right now don't want the church to have that. They said we should, they want us to be paying taxes. If, if we were paying property taxes and taxes here, it would cost us a fortune. And there are people trying to take that away from the church. I think you need to go back and read what Artaxerxes said. He said the church should be tax-free. Don't be doing that stuff. So that's kind of insane. And then listen to what he says. Now this is personally to Ezra. And you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom. Don't you love that? 
hey, you're a wise guy. Not, not a wise guy, but you're a wise man, right? And he says, hey, God gave you wisdom, and here's what I want you to do. Set magistrates and judges who may judge well, or who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know, all, all such as know the laws of your God, and teach those who do not know them. So here's what he's saying, man. Set up a system and set up men to help you and men to be involved. And, and that's what we should be doing, shouldn't we? We should be raising up people and putting people out there. And he says, set up a system to judge and to teach. And then whoever, verse 26, whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. So here's what he's saying, man. Let's keep some law and order and let's don't, let's don't delay things. You know, I, I think one of the problems with our nation is because we have, and, and part of it I understand and part of it I get, but part of it I just like drives me crazy. Things get drawn out so long and there's not justice and there's justice that ends up being drug out and not done properly. He said do it speedily and get it over with and carry it out and you know, I, I just think of when I was younger and, and I hate to do that because I still think I'm kind of young, but when I was young, it seems like justice was carried out a lot more swiftly. And are mistakes made? Yeah, mistakes are made, but you know what? They're made when justice is drug out for years and aeons, there's still the same mistakes being made. Didn't quit the mistakes. And I believe, listen, I believe as a nation as we're dragging things out in, in different ways, man, we're blowing it. And here's what he's telling Ezra. I want you to do it quick. Now we're gonna read in the book of at the end. Ezra does. And he does just as fast and he does it quick. And then Nehemiah does it. And then, so that's everything. So he says, Ezra, here's the letter, and that's the letter we just read. Take this letter with you. Now listen to Ezra's response because this is where Ezra gets real personal and he'll be personal. This will be Ezra talking about himself uh, for the next couple chapters. He says, blessed be the Lord God of our fathers who have put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. Do you hear what he's saying? Who gets the credit for what's happening? Not Ezra. Ezra's not saying, wow, I'm so glad, I'm so glad, you know, what the, what the one commentator said. I'm so glad that I studied the word of God and that I did the word of God and that I taught the word of God. Now God is using me. What does he say? No, God gets all the glory. Blessed be God that put that on the king's heart. He didn't say, oh, my godly life led the king in such a way that he had to do these things. No, God is moving on that king. And you gotta love Ezra, a humble guy. And he says, hey, and that he wants to beautify the house of the Lord. Remember, they had rebuilt the house of the Lord by now. They started with the wall, now they rebuilt the house, and he's going, oh, we got it built, but we're gonna go trick this thing out. We're gonna go make it nice, because this is God's house. 
And remember, he's a, he's a high priest, and he says in verse 28, and God has extended mercy to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes, so I was encouraged as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me, and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. So now, in the next chapter, we're gonna quit tonight. In the next chapter, we're gonna read about his traveling and gathering these people to go with him and to make that journey. But I want us to think about something. Three times in chapter seven, he says the Lord of the hand, or the hand of the, the, hand of the Lord my God is upon me. Here's what I wanna ask you tonight. Is his hand upon you? Do you know it? Are you understanding that God wants to use you? Hey, if he could use Ezra, I'm sure if we could interview Ezra, Ezra would say, I'm just Ezra. I don't think Ezra thought he was anything special. I don't think he thought he was, hey, I'm, I'm Ezra, everybody should be. No, I think he thought, you know what, man? I'm just wanting to follow God, and I'm just wanting to love God. And God's just gonna use him in such a magnificent way as we're gonna see as he goes back and the things that he's gonna accomplish. And Ezra is gonna give meaning to the word of the Lord to the people. And I love that. In Nehemiah 8.8, 8, that's what he says. Ezra gave meaning to the word of God. And that's what Ezra does. He's a teacher and he loves to see people grow. And he wasn't special, he was Ezra. When we get to heaven, he's not gonna have some big thing. He's just gonna be Ezra. He's gonna say, hey, you wanna do a Bible study? And you and I need to know something, man. God wants to use every single one of us. We're not, we're not looking for standout people. God's looking for people who will seek him and people who will seek his word and do his word and teach his word. And some of you go, well, I don't have the gift of teaching. I get that. But you're going to teach his word by the way you act and the way you live. And the important thing is tonight, is the hand of God upon you or not? Only you can answer that. And if not, we're going to give you an opportunity to change that in just a moment. Let's all stand up and pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this challenge.